Well, good morning. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Ryan Pale, and I'm very privileged to be up here. Matt Morton is uh, typically here to uh, to teach you guys, and uh, and he's not here. He's across the street today, so I have the privilege to get to uh, have you guys stare at me for a while, and it's incredibly intimidating. So, uh, so bear with me. Um, I do have a question, Jamie. While you're doing the the Mac nerd thing, y'all are doing '80s. uh, Y'all are doing '80s stuff at retreat. Okay. So is the worship band going to be doing 80s glam rock? Like, are you going to be wearing a blonde wig and tattered jeans? Okay, okay, good. That would be, I would definitely go. Uh, I should go anyways. Um, but uh, we have a couple of quick, quick announcements. Uh, one is if you, you guys are sitting on the, uh, on the center aisle, if you look down next to your seat, there are ha- howdy cards and Bibles. So just pass those along. The howdy cards are for those of you who, uh, who are here for the first time. If that's you, we'd love for you to fill that out so we can know how to best serve you. And then the uh, and then the Bibles are basically there just for you to read as I uh, as I go through. So speaking of Bibles and not having yours, whoever's Bible this is, I'm kind of borrowing it this morning. I found it in the back, so uh, thank you very much uh, for that. Also, come get it afterward uh, so you can read it. Will they tell you? Uh, there we go. Where to go, Jamie? All right. Woo. Okay. So uh, so what they tell you a lot of times in uh, in in doing uh, teaching and all that good stuff, is uh, you're always supposed to start out with an opening illustration. So what I'm going to do instead of an opening illustration, I'm going to uh, shamelessly exploit the, uh, the cuteness of my children. There they are. That's, uh, that's Davis and Berkeley. My wife, Andrea, took this picture of them, and it's fall, so you have to do pumpkin pictures. But, so they're a little over three years old, and they're a lot of fun. Those of you who do Youth Impact with me, you've gotten to, uh, you've gotten to see them before. But anyways, uh, Okay, you guys are mostly in college. Have you ever been in, uh, have you ever been in like Target or HEB and you hear that kid that just will not shut up? He just is crying, mommy, I want this, I want this. And you see the parents just kind of passively saying, oh, mommy's not going to buy that for you. I'm not going to do that. And so you always, like you whisper to the person next to you, <laughs> in my house, that is not the way it's going to go down. And so like when Andre and I got married uh, and when we were first dating, that's, we kind of had that attitude. We were like, we'd hear screaming baby and we'd be like, <laughs> in the pale house, I'm going to wear his butt out and we're not going to handle that. And, and then uh, of course, God, because he has a great plan for us, gave us children and he gave us twins uh, at that. So we learned the wisdom of, of choosing your battles. But one of those things for me was that one of those things I was like, I will never do was bribe my children. I was like, I will never bribe my kids. It was like the, the fear of my wrath and my children's unfailing desire to please me will be all that they need for uh, just blind obedience. And so, um, so this is a great plan. And uh, since I didn't have any kids, of course, I was the expert. I know how, it, uh, I know how that goes down. So, so anyways, uh, obviously I had kids and the very first night we brought the babies home. Oh my gosh, it was traumatic. Potentially the reason why we may not be having any more kids. Uh, but we brought the kids home and and, uh, and my sweet little princess uh, had this shrill cry from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. She would not stop crying. And, and, and my wife and I resolved beforehand, we resolved to not, you know, do, they call them props. We're not going to give them toys. We're not going to do passies. Because once you give them passies, then they're going to, you got to break the habit. And they're going to have buck teeth and a, and a lisp. And so we're like, we're not going to give them passies at all. So I know it's weird. Um, so 
I'll tell you what, 5 a.m. came around. We were, we were exhausted. We were delusional. We hadn't had sleep. And so we were like, oh, Berkeley, please stop crying. Where's the passy? Get the passy! And like sending, sending Andrea to the closet to get the passy. And we want so badly for her to get through whatever it is that she's, that's upsetting her right now. And so my, my sweet wife, Andrea, is, <laughs> she was uh, sort of kidding, but sort of delusional. She's like, you want an iPod? Mommy will buy you an iPod. You want a car when he turns six? I'll buy you a car. And so we're just bribing the junk out of our kids. And so, uh, and then my, uh, and then my son also, my son has a, has a sweet, sweet face, but he also has a face that um, whenever he gets sad or whenever he gets hurt, his entire face frowns, as my wife puts it. So he's got a great smile, but his eyes go down and his little mouth goes down, his ears droop. And so you look at that and it just breaks your heart. And so you want to do anything you can do to make that, to turn that frown upside down. Oh gosh, I said it. Um, I'm... (laughs) I must be a dad. Um, so, uh, so you want to do everything you can to, to help him, to help him out. And you're like, please stop crying. And, or when he got his shots and they were shoving needles uh, in him. Drake, can you get me a glass of water? Thank you. Um, and so when, we're, when the doctor's shoving needles in him, you're like, oh, buddy, I'm so sorry. I want so badly to take your pain away. Just if you hang in there, we'll go get McDonald's. If you hang in there, we'll get some ice cream. If you just hang in there, I promise this feels bad, but it's good for you. Please hang in there. And one of the things, as a dad, one of the worst things that you encounter is to see your child in pain and to not do anything about it, whether because you can't or just because you know that it's not good for him. And that's the, that's the attitude of the book of Hebrews. It's our doting dad that says, come on, guys. I love you so much. I know you're going through this hard time right now. Please just hang in there. There's some good stuff on the other side of it. It's worth hanging in there. It's worth enduring and it's worth fighting. And we're going to see this attitude in, uh, in Hebrews 4, 1 through 10. If you have your Bibles, read along with me. I'm going to uh, read the first 10 verses. It says, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from his. Um, Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we give thanks to you. Thank you for calling us to a great calling. Thank you, Lord, that when life hurts and, and leaves us abandoned and chewed up and swallowed, we can still stand up and, and claim you as God. Thank you, Lord, for being there when nobody else is. Thank you, Lord, for encouraging us and empowering us to move forward in our walk with you. Uh, we give thanks to you. We pray, Lord, that the, that the words that we sing this morning would be the attitude of our lives uh, throughout the week. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, yeah, this, this is one of those days, man, that was, that was 
great worship. I want so badly to, to come up here and to say, okay, you sang it, now go out and live it. See ya, go eat lunch early. Well, but I, I mean, I put too much time in this. I'm not gonna let y'all get away with that. So, um, so alas, you're stuck with me a little bit longer. Um, does anybody in here find the Old Testament uh, um, a little on the boring side? Like, uh, and don't incriminate yourself. I'm not asking you to raise your hand because we know that you're not alone. But so if the times that you decide, I'm going to study the word. I'm going to get, the, I'm going to, I'm going to find out more about God, what he wants for me. Uh, a lot of times we'll be like, okay, what is, on one hand, we're like, okay, what is James and Paul and Christ and Peter? What do they have to say? Because it's really practical. It's like, okay, this is what community looks like. This is what walking with God looks like. And it's very easy to read it, study it, apply it to your life. Or we can go to the Old Testament and we can be like, okay, um, there's something about lineages and, uh, and some battles and some uh, temple measurement. Have you ever tried to make temple measurements apply to your life on any level? It doesn't happen. And so we're kind of, we're kind of caught between this tension of oh, New Testament is great and easy and uplifting. And, and, and sometimes it knocks us upside the head, but it feels good in a, in a really masochistic way. But the Old Testament, uh, then we have to do a little bit more investigation. And, and so sometimes we just kind of leave that to the pastors to, to study that stuff. And we, and we camp out over here. And what I want to say is, um, although I understand that, it, 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 you aren't able to understand the, uh, the New Testament the same way. So when you come to the Gospels, when you come to the book of Hebrews or James or Revelation, if you don't have a great foundation in the Old Testament, the story of the Old Testament, you can't understand the depth of what the New Testament has to say. And we come to a verse this morning in Hebrews or a section this morning in Hebrews that, that sort of proves that point. So much of what we want to do is we're teaching through Hebrews with you. So much of what we want to do is to, is to take away the assumption. We all have like, most of us in here have this, have this Bible belt, weird evangelical assumption that we read into the scripture. And so when we read the New Testament, especially Hebrews, we read into it based on our experiences. And what we want to do this morning is say, take, take that away. Let's look at the scriptures for what it says. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to focus on, uh, we're going to focus on verse 1. The message is basically just hold on tight, hold on guys, be a big boy, be a big girl, make it through life, there's something great coming. It says, therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. So we, we have a couple of options here. Uh, one is, obviously, I guess the, the glaring thing is, is his rest. Like, what is his rest? And I remember when I was studying the scriptures, I was like, well, his rest is obviously heaven because I don't know of anything else uh, in the world that I'm going after, but, but heaven. So, and we're supposed to be obedient. So therefore rest is heaven. And, and that's kind of a common example. In fact, if you, if you have a study Bible with you and you look at your study Bible, that's likely the way they translate rest. They're like, well, rest is entering into heaven and don't be obedient. You got persevering your good works or else you're not getting into it. A lot of pastors believe that too. A lot of, a lot of, our, uh, a lot of our dialogue between one another, we believe that because that's the easy assumption. Can I just say, I couldn't disagree more. That's not what this is talking about at all. If you want to hear like a great systematic outline of, of, of why not, um, I encourage you to check out uh, Morton's uh, podcast from, from last week. You can get it on grace-bible.org. He, he lays out a great, a great layout of why this isn't, uh, he's, he's not talking about heaven. But I want to do sort of the Cliff's Notes for, for that. And one of the, one of the foundation re- foundational reasons why I can't believe that this is talking about heaven is because the grace of God does not leave room for heaven being contingent on us, our obedience. 
You know, when, we're, when we partake in the gospel, essentially what we've said is, I have been, because of my arrogance and my foolishness, I've, I've separated myself from God. Okay, and, and no matter how hard I try, it's just not going to happen. It's just fighting an uphill battle that's never going to happen. And so at the point where we decide, okay, this isn't getting any better for me, slide back down and just say, okay, God, I trust that Christ is the only one that can forgive me of my sins. I trust that he is the only way to get back into a right, right relationship with you. When we do that, when we put our trust in Christ, it has nothing to do with our works at all. Nothing to do with how hard we fight, how much we endure, how much we persevere. And so what we, what we do now, a lot of times, what a lot of pastors will do or a lot of Bible studies will do is they'll dangle heaven out in front of you, believer. Okay, you had a great youth group experience, trusted Christ. Whoa, how many times did you lust today? Someone's not persevering. Or, or they'll say, uh, is, that, is that habitual sin? Oh, you are not getting, you almost got into heaven, but you are not getting into heaven. We dangle this heavenly carrot in front of the believer and we're trying to grasp at it, but nobody can. And it's sad, this, this book, this, this book fights so hard against the mindset of dangling heaven in front of you. It, it fights vigorously against that. I encourage you guys to do the same. There's just no room in God's grace for that, for that mindset. So, so if it's not heaven, if it's not heaven, what, what could it be? Um, we're going to go into that. Uh, but have you, ever, have you ever been with a roommate that was less than perfect? Or, uh, or I'm going to say spouse, or, or a spouse. Let's Andre can relate. Okay, so uh, have you ever been with a roommate or live with somebody that's less than perfect? Uh, and, you, uh, and you get in a little spat, you know, y'all been passive aggressive, passive aggressive. And then somebody hits something, and you're like, boom, like you explode. Okay, well, uh, we have a tendency to do that. So, so Milady and I will, uh, will get into an argument, and then uh, for whatever reason, we, we have to kind of part ways, and uh, I go into the other room and pray the whole time. And, uh, um, <laughs> sorry, oh gosh, lying up here is not good. <laughs> okay, um, so, uh, so I will, uh, I'll get away, and then I think about that one thing she did or said, and I just build my case on it. I'm like, okay, yeah, say that again. I got a good comeback right now, or do that again. I, wa- I want you to. I'm like begging for her to do this wrong thing again, because I'm going to pounce, and I'm going to win. Uh, and so, uh, and it's sick and twisted, but, you know, such is man. So, um, so, we, so we have this, in sort of a different way, we have the same kind of attitude, the same personality when we approach the scripture. So we, we'll find this one little nuance in scripture and we don't really listen to or pay attention to everything that was said before or everything that came after. We focus on this one thing and we build our case on it. We build, um, our, in, this, in this regard, we build our theology on it. So what I want to do now is uh, let's, let's just summarize one through 10, and I'm not going to go through uh, detail after detail. Um, so, so here's the thing. Uh, our, our rest is a, is a potential for reward, for inheritance. So uh, essentially what happens is he talks about, in, in verses one through 10, he talks about the Old Testament story. And I know a lot of you guys know this, but, um, so I'm going to breeze through it. But basically the Old Testament story is this, that the, uh, the Israelites, the Hebrews, they were, they were under an oppressive regime. They were, they were under the leadership of, of Egypt and they were bad. They were, they were oppressive. And so God says, you are my people. I love you. I want to rescue you. I want to save you from this oppressive system that's going on. I see how hard this is for you, and I want to take you out of it. I want to save you from that. 
And so what God, the way uh, God laid it out is, is he sent all these plagues to Egypt to try to soften their hearts and it didn't work. And then uh, what we see is that finally God says, okay, I'm getting you out of here. I'm getting you out of here. And so he says, okay, all of you Israelites, put some, uh, put some blood on your front door. And, and what that means is that's a sign of your faith that I will save you. That's how you're showing your faith. I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you out of this world that you're in. And so they did. And so, uh, and we know that as the Passover. We get to see it on, uh, you know, y'all, y'all see that played out on every Easter on, uh, on TV. I don't understand why they play the Old Testament story on Easter, which the Old Testament people don't really believe in. But we get to see the way that, we get to see the way that plays out. So um, they, uh, they put their, they show their faith. They put the, the red blood on the door. The angel of the Lord comes and destroys everybody who didn't, or, or the household of, uh, of everybody who didn't put pain on their front door. So essentially what we see is it's a metaphor. It, it, it becomes a metaphor for us today. Our, our faith saves us. So then what happens is we know the story. They, they leave out of Egypt. The Israelites leave out of Egypt. Their faith saved them from that oppressive regime. And then they have, this is, where they, this is their starting place. And this is where God wants to take them. This is the land flowing with milk and honey. This is the prime real estate. God's saying, I don't just want you to be out of an oppressive regime. I want you to be all the way over here. The problem is for all of us and for them is that you have this much time <laughs> to go on. This much time of, yes, you're seeing the Lord work, but the world is, uh, is not nice. This much time of struggling with doubt. This much time of questioning, do I really believe? And so they walked, they walked that out for a long time. People even went so, were so foolish as to say, why did we leave that oppressive regime, Egypt? Why did we not stick it out there? Things were good. Things were really good. And so they continued that heart of bitterness kind of grew up within them. And then they get right to the edge of the promised land. And remember, they got to you know, walk through water, see an entire army destroyed they saw that. They saw God provide water and bread from heaven. And they still come to the land. They're like, I'm not, we got to feel this out a little bit. So they send spies in to go in, check out the land. The spies come back, all except two of them say, don't go in there. These dudes are tall. We do not want to mess with them at all. And so, um, so they come back and they tell Moses, uh-uh, don't go over there. Like, I know we saw God do something in the past, but these dudes are huge. They're warriors. So God says, uh, fine, I'm done. I've carried you all this way and you still want to give up on me. So in a sense, what God does, he says, you're not entering. You're not going in. I want so badly for you to enter in, but you clearly don't want that for yourself. So you're not getting in. I'm sorry. So although they're saved, they've put their trust in God, they do not get into the promised land. And as an aside, Moses didn't get into the promised land either. So it's hard to say that that represents heaven when Moses himself didn't, didn't even get in. Does that make sense? So I think the way that translates for us today, although we are, we've put our trust in God, we, we trust him to save us, we still have to labor and toil. And God doesn't just want us to be saved. He doesn't want, I think the, the cheesy youth illustration is fire insurance. He doesn't just want us to buy fire insurance. He doesn't just want us to get out of hell and into heaven. He doesn't want that. He wants so much more for us than just that, than just to get into heaven. He has an inheritance waiting for us. So that's what, that's at least what I, what I um, as I look at the text, that's what I see. He's wanting us to get to the inheritance and that's why he praises Joshua as well. If you guys have any questions, come see, uh, go see Matt. Um, okay. So, um, so, so we've, we've laid the establishment of, okay, he's talking about rest and inheritance. And 
But I'll, I'll say this. Okay, I, I've got to rant a little bit, and you really can't stop me, so here we go. Um, a lot of times when we, look at, uh, when we look at the scriptures, we're like, you guys are idiots. You saw the hand of God work in some mighty ways. How could you dare abandon the faith? I feel like a lot of times we just have that, we have that attitude about us. Like, if I was, especially when we think about, when we think about uh, the, the disciples, we think they're these clumsy idiots that just didn't know any better. The problem is, uh, when we look at, the, at Hebrews, is these people are faced with real trials. Life got after them really hard. The, the, the audience of, the Hebrew, of Hebrews, life got after them really hard. They were facing persecution and hardship, real suffering. And, and abandoning the faith was the best out for them. That was the best way they could, they could just get out of those immediate trials that were going on. Just say, okay, I give up. Fine, I'll do whatever you want to do. Uh, yeah, the whole God thing, it's, it, or the whole Christian thing, it's cool, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go the easier path. Makes sense. And as I look at your faces here, I'm like, y'all are all going to face that. Every one of you. There's no easier place to live out your faith than in college um, unless, I mean, I'm only 31. I'm only 31, so maybe it's, maybe it's going to happen more afterward. But up till now, the easiest, absolute easiest place for me to live out my faith is in college. It's not going to get any easier. And you're going to get out in the workforce and, and uh, all these things are going to compete for you. But whereas the audience of Hebrews, they had things like persecution, hardship, trials. You're going to have things like wealth, laziness, lack of valuing time with God. You're going to have those things. And in my eight years of doing college ministry, I've become pretty cynical. And I would be shocked. I would be shocked pleasantly. I would praise God if half of you in here after five years after five years of leaving college, if half of you in here have a strong walk with God, I would be shocked. And, and that's assuming that all of you have one right now. The world's a messed up place and it's competing for you. It's coming after you. And I don't care what kind of leadership position you're in. I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord. It's coming after you. Some people may, some people may resist up front. They may resist really early and be like, no, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. This is my plan. I'm going to get part of a community, part of a church. I'm going to get spiritual disciplines, all that good stuff. But some people, you just kind of happen into bad situations. Yeah, we're not above it. Um, so now we get to the good stuff. Um, so what he does is he, from one to 10, he gets to the, here's, here's God's rest. Come on, please endure, please endure, get there. I promise there's good stuff at the end. Now, he, now he's like, okay, they got the point. Okay, now let's do it. This is how we live it out. So, um, verse 11, it says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. I love this little section. Um, as, as I was looking at it, as I was studying it, I saw, uh, for whatever reason, diligent stood out. So I was like, okay, let's look at what diligent uh, really means. So I, so I got to look it up, and, and it was really cool, because essentially what he's saying is, therefore, let us hasten the day. Let's get excited. Let's move on. Let's hope this day hurries up and gets here so we can enter the rest. And he's not saying end your life early so you can experience inheritance by any stretch of the imagination. What he's saying is, and I, I liken it to, I don't know if any of you guys were athletes, played football or whatever, but there's a time like for the entire day leading up to a football game, you're kind of in the zone and you're this weird hormonal teenager or whatever, but you're like, you're like, okay, I'm ready to play. Come on, just get me in. And you're pumped and you're excited. Nobody can tell you anything around you. Everything is about that game time. And you are so fixated on that game that your entire life and your interactions with others is about that game that's in front of you. This is what he's saying and being diligent. Be speedy, hurry up, get it over here. And then he does this really weird thing afterward. 
the writer of, uh, of Hebrews, he, he switches it now. He's like, talking about rest, hang on, hang on, hang on, get excited. And then he talks about the word of God in 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. And able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him whom we have to do or whom we have to deal with. It's kind of random. It's one of those things that seems to break the flow or whatever. So I really, I wasn't really sure what he was, what he was doing. And then had a, had a great aha moment. Um, when he talks about the word, the word of God, he's talking about truth, basically. First of all, he's talking about truth. And one of the things that, that, will, that will cause us to lack endurance in our faith, it all happens up here. It happens through the way we interpret our life, the way we see all the stimuli that's coming at us, what we think about it. Beyond that, it's, uh, we, we, have, we have these roots of bitterness that can come into our mind. And, and we're all selfish, we're all arrogant, blah, blah, blah. We all have like 100 selfish thoughts coming at us a day. But every once in a while, one will kind of take root and it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. It starts to permeate your thinking, your worldview, the way you view everything. But on the outside, nobody would have a clue that you're dealing with that. But on the inside, you have this root of bitterness that, that's growing. It's thriving. And what happens is the word of God, if, it, if we allow it to, it saturates our mind. Instead of us being the captain of the ship, we're, still, we're, submitted, to, we're submitted to the truth. I'll give you an example uh, in my own life. I, uh, um, I'm a social justice guy. Part of what we do, and my, my wife is as well, part of what we do is uh, we mentor um, students in our community that, quite frankly, a lot of people don't really care to do. And so, so when, we go to, uh, when we go to a people or when people find out what we do, they always say this. They're like, I'm so glad you're doing that. It takes a really special person to do what you do. So on the outside, what I, uh, the way I respond is I'm like, oh, I couldn't do what you do. And everybody's called to their own thing. I'm getting to do my dream job. Um, and so on the outside, maybe I even encourage them or something like that. But internally, whew, internally, sarcastic crying comes out. A lot of stuff going on. So internally, I'm like, yeah. Yeah, it does take a special person. It's called a Christian. Uh, it's called somebody that takes the Bible seriously. Um, yeah, it takes, but we're all supposed to be doing what I'm doing, okay? And, and so I judge them silently whenever they say things like that. So, so what happens is I've got this great thing, social justice, looking after the widows and orphans in our community. This is a, go- this is a godly thing, something that we as believers are called to. I also have my pride and arrogance, and the two go hand in hand. So I even use something so great and pure, and I put my, I attach my ego to it to where if nobody's doing what I'm doing and passionate about what I'm passionate about, they're idiots. And so I have these two, it's hard to separate the two. Where's my pride? Where's the godliness? And so the two kind of come hand in hand. Oh, this is filthy. It's sick. I think we all do this to a degree. We all have our sticks, our soapboxes. Ross King, the Ross King, the uh, the um, the worship guy at uh, at Calm Church, he he's got this great rant uh, about how his his theory is that we all think that God is like ourselves. Um, so we think that God loves what we love. He's passionate about what we're passionate about, and he hates the thing that we can't stand. He he is, he thinks that people are idiots that we think are idiots, and so um, we all think that God is is like that. And I think we're all prone to to believe that. So my little muddled, weird holiness prideful funk that I have going in here. What is it that can separate these two things, that can separate bone from marrow? What is it that can distinguish between the soul and the spirit, the divine and the worldly? It's the word of God. 
And so instead of me holding, holding on to these two things and finding a little, little coven of like-minded, bitter people that sit around and talk about what's wrong with the church today, I allow truth to be saturated in my mind. And I'll say just in, in, in the line of work that I am, it's very easy to be that way. And frankly, there's a lot of people that are. And I know for me, I have to constantly have, there's a verse in Ephesians 4 that talks about it was Christ, it was God who gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to prepare all of God's people for works of service. So what I do is I, as I remember that, I, I'm able to see, okay, I'm not all that. I'm, I am part of a, uh, I am a very small part of a very large body and my pride is taken away and it's less about me and it's more about the benefit of the body of Christ. You know, they talk about how there's some books that you read and some books that read you. And I think what he's saying here is allow the scriptures to be something that reads you. Submit yourself to the truth of God so that you can distinguish that arrogance from the holiness, the good things that are within you. And I would say, I would be, I would be surprised if we didn't all have our one thing within the church that we're passionate about. You know, the church isn't doing enough of this. They're not doing enough of this. So I just encourage you to examine that heart a little bit. Ask the Lord to guide you through it. Because frankly, he needs, he needs sounding boards. He needs advocates, but he needs humble and bold ones. The next thing, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll end on a, on a little happier note, is um, more of the so what. 4.14 and 15 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. This is, uh, and I know there's a verse after this in chapter four. Go look at it and study it. Um, But this is where I'm going to end today. I I never really understood, like people tell me it's good to have a high priest that can relate to us. Someone that has experienced the temptation of sin, but didn't struggle. And I, I guess for whatever reason, I never really understood the importance of that. And then even as I was thinking about this verse, I, I remembered, I forgot to ask if I could mention this. You're fine. Okay. Um, so, uh, so Andrea and I, we were married for about three years and, uh, and we, we, uh, we had trouble having babies and, uh, we wanted so badly to have a child. And so, uh, so after a long time of struggling through that, asking God, please, Lord, give us a child. We want one so badly. After, so, uh, after a long time, like a year and a half, I think it was, or a year uh, of doing that, then finally God's like, yes, you can have a child. We have a child, Andrea finds out she's pregnant. And it was, it was really weird. She was a few weeks pregnant, and we, and we started to have this love, this fondness for this child that was growing within her belly. And we felt, we really, we fell in love with this child. I mean, we only n- knew him or her for, uh, for a few weeks. And then we went in, uh, and then we went in for our checkup at, uh, Scott and White and Dr. Appleton, uh, she looks around for the baby and, and, uh, looks some more and looks some more and it, uh, didn't look good. And so we had, uh, what's called blighted ovum, ovum. Basically the baby didn't thrive. The baby, uh, the baby, uh, passed away. So, um, Andre and I, it was all we could do to, uh, to not break down, uh, to do the real just nasty cry uh, right there in the, in, the, uh, in the office. And then we left and we went out in our car and we cried for a long time. And then we uh, pulled ourselves together and then we went home and then we cried some more, laid in our bed crying together. It's the hardest thing that Andre and I have ever been through. Um, and so uh, old Ryan would have said, you didn't even meet the baby. You didn't even like you only found out you were pregnant for a couple of weeks. How could you be this torn up over it? Just because I'm a guy and we think, sometimes we tend to think categorically like that. And so old Ryan would have said that. What new Ryan would say is, 
so sorry. That's horrible. I'm so sorry you had to go through that. And as an example, we went into, uh, we went into the office and, and one of the pastors here, um, you know, without knowing it, he just, asked, he asked me how we were doing, how was the pregnancy. And, and I filled him in and I told him we lost, we lost the baby and, and it was devastating. And the pastor didn't, um, uh, he didn't preach at me. He didn't say, well, this is what God's word says about difficult situations. He didn't uh, tell me three steps about how to get over it. He, he, he teared up. And they say, can we pray? Um, and it was, it was phenomenal to hear him do that. My heart felt connected with in a way that nobody else could do. He cried because he had been through that. He knew the depth of the pain that we were experiencing. I was empowered by it because I had connected on a very deep level with a brother of mine. Um, so I say this for two reasons. One, the practical side. For those of you who will encounter friends that are going through hard times, please don't feel the need to tell them it's going to be okay. Please don't tell them, it's fine, you're going to be okay. Like, here's what God's word says. Yes, we use God's word, but first listen, second pray, and then do whatever the Spirit leads you to do. You feel the need to say something, don't. Don't say anything. Um, it, it ministered to us tremendously to have him listen, cry, and pray. Second thing, and, and as it relates to the text, is this. Christ knows what it's like to be us. Christ knows what it's like to be abandoned to feel alone, to feel, um, to feel the, the weight of the temptation to sin. He knows what that's like. And he, in fact, he knows probably more than you or I ever could know it because he actually stood up against it. So he saw the full power of sin coming against him. But because he resisted sin completely, he saw the, he saw the full force of it. So knowing that he can sympathize with us, I think what, our, what we can do is we can pray and when we talk to God, we can say, Lord, you know what I'm going through. You know how hopeless I feel. You know what this is like. I need some company. I need some, I need some help here. I know that you understand. Uh, so when you go through difficult times and they press in at you, just remember that you, have, you serve a God that knows what that's like. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we give thanks to you. Thank you for, uh, for loving us passionately. Thank you for calling us to great things. Thank you for rescuing us from our sin. Um, we want to pray, Lord, that we would uh, continue to live lives worshiping you this week. Please empower us to do so. Those of us, those people, I want to, specifically those people in here who are going through difficult times, I want to pray that they would recognize that you are a great high priest that has compassion on us and that they would turn to you, be emboldened by you to stand up and say, you are God, you are good. We pray that you would give them endurance to finish strong. And uh, we lift all these things up through the blood of Christ. Amen.